RPN is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be confused with medical or legal advice. Advertisers or on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement. But as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to a very exciting episode of Red Pill News Live. Today is a just one of those days where the deep state is taking a big, open, palmed slap across the face, and I gotta say, I am here for it. I'm loving it. We've got so many updates and a variety of cases regarding Donald Trump. Every single bit of them. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So if you are just arriving, do me a favor. If you haven't yet, hit the like button. If you would be so kind as to maybe share the show out there on your favorite social media platform, I would really, really appreciate it. We've also got a special guest joining us at uh, 15 minutes after the start of the hour. We're going to be talking about a major update in the January 6th pipe bomb case. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and we'll be right back. After this. So recently, I've told you guys about a breakthrough new anti-aging remedy that I've been using that keeps me energized all day long. I just take a teaspoonful of C60 Evo olive oil in the morning, and I notice better mental focus, flexibility, and physical endurance. Now, it's rare to feel improvements this quickly. I also end up sleeping deeper at night, so it's really helpful. Their peptide and ESS60 hair and lotion renewal formulas are exceptional because they really work. And C60 Evo's lab has been manufacturing this Nobel Prize winning miracle molecule for 32 years in their Houston, Texas Patriot owned lab. ESS60 is the upgraded version of the carbon 60 molecule. It's specifically made for both people and pets. It's a potent and effective way for people's lives to be improved all around the world. So maximize your health and enjoy noticeable results with C60 Evo organic edible oils, skin serums, and pet products. You can buy with confidence from C60 Evo, and you can use my personal code for a discount at checkout. Simply go to c60evo.com forward slash redpill78. And then when you're there, use code redpill78 for an additional 10% off your entire order. Once again, that's c60evo.com forward slash redpill78. And when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you're having a lovely afternoon. I can tell you with certainty I am. I would like to begin today 
with uh, two very brief videos. First of all, a brand new campaign ad from Joe Biden for none other than our man, Donald J. Trump. Let's go ahead and get right into it. A leader who has what it takes to lead us. I have no idea. We are transferring power from Washington, D.C. Their idea is as profound. And giving it back to you, the people. I call the ultra mega plan. He never, never backs down. He always steps up and he always asks in every one of those critical meetings the same fundamental question. Where's Hunter? Hunter. What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? Let me start again. I want to take you inside the White House to see the president as I see him every day. Folks, I've watched him. Go get him. (laughs) And he's just a vehicle. Let's not kid ourselves. Joe is shot, okay? Over the next four years to a future as great as our people. Drain the swamp. The great MAGA king. The big fight with uh, the former president uh, and maybe future president. Uh, um, What am I doing here? (laughs) Now, we all know Joe Biden doesn't have to actively campaign for President Trump. He is doing the best job of advertising why we need to get President Trump back into office and how we're going to make America great again. As soon as we cast that ballot, as soon as Donald Trump is declared the eventual winner, as soon as he is sworn in yet again for his third yet official second term in office, America will begin the process of becoming great once again. Now, in uh, keeping with my promise of uh, playing amazing Trump songs for you. We're also going to hear this latest release from the Remix Bros. If you guys aren't following them, you really should. Here we go. This one is incredible. Actually, I need to turn the audio up. Hold on. Let me do that. Four more years of Donald Trump. Let me hear you scream. Joe Biden, the worst president in the history of our country. We got to get him out. Joe Biden is truly a threat to democracy. Well, why? For two reasons. Number one, we just said part of it, but. Number two is he's incompetent. We are the party of common sense, and that's what we are. You know, we're conservative, we're this, we're that. Who cares? We're the party of common sense. He's called Make America Great Again. Joe Biden doesn't know. He says, we have to stop America. But he doesn't know what it means to make America great again. Ding, 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 bomb. Ding, 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 bomb. Ding, 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 bomb. Ding, 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 okay. Ding, 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 bomb. Ding, 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 bomb. Ding, 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 Party becoming more unified. Vivek, please come here. We are in the middle of a war in this country. It's not between black and white, or even between Democrats and Republicans. It is between those of us who love this country and a fringe minority who hates the United States of America. If you want to revive national pride, vote Trump. If you want to revive our national identity, vote Trump. If you want to make 
I do for Vivek because he's very big and sure. Ding 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 bomb. Ding 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 bomb. Ding 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 bomb. Ding 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 okay. Ding 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 bomb. Ding 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 bomb. Ding 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 bomb bomb. I'm the Mega King. You own. Donald Trump is the Mega King. That's right, one hundred percent. Vivek was correct in every single thing he said there. And I know some people out there don't like or trust Vivek. Let me just tell you one thing. President Trump spent four years in Washington, D.C., fighting against the resistance, fighting against the swamp. He made incredible, incredible progress despite everything they threw at him. And throughout the last three years and heading into the fourth He's had enough time to evaluate exactly who was loyal to him and who wasn't loyal to him. And you better believe that at this point, if Donald Trump doesn't know how to choose the right people to have around him, well, then I would think that you just simply don't have the trust in him that I do. Vivek is not someone that you are meant to put your faith in. Vivek is not someone that you are meant to to even second-guess or trust. Vivek is someone that Donald Trump now officially has working for him. I said Vivek was working for Trump all along. I think that is still true. And now Vivek has a role within Trump's organization, and you better believe that he's going to deliver. Every single time Vivek opened his mouth, he hailed Donald Trump. He gave props to Donald Trump. He told America exactly what we needed, Donald Trump. And we know, no matter what Vivek says, exactly what's going to happen come November. So I want you guys to be as jazzed about this as I am. I cannot wait for President Trump to return to office. I cannot wait to begin the process of making America great again, again. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, give Vivek, Vivek the show shine boy a hand. <laughs> I think I know what you mean. I think I know what you mean, but there might have been a, a typo there. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump right into the main news today. So first of all, let me uh, start up this Zoom call so that when our special surprise guest joins us, we'll be ready to take that call. Okay, uh, I'd like to begin with an interesting clip that emerged yesterday. Joy Reid, doing her typical spiel on MSNBC, uh, openly lying about the state of the nation, much the same way that we had a troll in the chat yesterday suggesting that it was Republicans who refused to clean up the issues at the southern border. <laughs> That's laughable. Joy Reid said pretty much the same thing. So it even lends more credence to my theory that the people who would try to push that narrative are probably some sort of paid agitator. They're probably in league with, I don't know, the DNC at the very least and an intelligence agency at best. So Joy Reid was on camera discussing the situation with that failed border deal, which really wasn't a border deal. It was a mass infiltration of illegals deal. Uh, and she was caught on a hot mic telling the audience how she really feels about the state of the nation. So let me go ahead and play this for you. And uh, then we'll go ahead and break down what Joy Reid actually said. Here we go. Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. 
If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another fucking war. <laughs> Starting another effing war. See, Joy Reid's not stupid. Joy Reid knows that what's happening right now with Joe Biden, his agenda, is bad for America. But she's a paid actor. Okay, she collects a massive paycheck to go on air every single day and to spout the same old tired talking points that are delivered by the clowns in America at 4 a.m., picking it up off of her fax machine or taking her emails and printing them off and getting ready to do exactly what the deep state tells her to. Joy Reid does not have the same respect for her audience as someone like us would. Okay, we're not going to go on a national platform and lie to the American people. But again, that's the only thing these people are good for. They're good for writing their lines and reading their lines. Behind the scenes, Joy Reid is probably just as frustrated about the way things are going as us. But here's the thing. If Donald Trump comes back into office, she is guaranteed to remain employed because MSNBC is going to want her there every single day talking smack about President Trump. And as far as I'm concerned, she can say whatever she wants. This is America, baby. I don't care. And it's certainly not going to have any impact on me or the people that I love. And I am hazarding a guess here. It's not going to have much of an impact on the people of America as well. The spell is broken. People no longer believe what these paid actors are selling them. And I'd like to give you an update on a little meme that we shared yesterday. The members of the squad walking down the street rather than fixing issues in the U.S. House of Representatives or the Senate. Uh, instead, they were spending their time making TikTok videos. And again, these women, if you want to call them that, have done nothing of substance since being elected to public office. And much in the same way Joy Reid collects a check just for showing up, these women do exactly the same thing. Well, except in the case of Cori Bush, it would appear that she was doing just a little bit more than just collecting a check. What is it? about these people and their scandals? What is it about conflicts of interest and violations of ethics? Hmm. Anytime I hear these people uh, preaching to someone like me about how I'm supposed to act or the way that I'm supposed to carry myself uh, or looking at Donald Trump and suggesting that he's some sort of monster because he said mean tweets online, I take a look around at the actions of these individuals, and it becomes quite clear what's really going on here. This is yet another case of Democrat projection, the projection of corrupt individuals onto the faces of those people in America who love America. Cori Bush is a radical. Cori Bush hates America in the same way that Ilhan Omar and the other members of the squad hate America. And right now, even though we're in the midst of the Biden regime, it would appear that the Department of Justice has opened up a criminal probe uh, looking into Cori Bush and her misuse of public funds. And there's only a couple of things 
that you really can't get away with. And something like this, well, it becomes very obvious because there's so many records. Now, here's the thing. I tend to believe that Cori Bush was a useful idiot for the DNC, for the deep state, for the left. And because she's such a loudmouth, because she really uh, is not helping out the situation at this point, now she's kind of uh, an antagonist to the Biden regime and the deep state itself uh, in that she wants more than they're willing to give. Uh, She has outlived her useful period. She's past her expiration date. So the Justice Department is conducting this criminal probe of Democrat Cori Bush from Missouri. Now, They subpoenaed the House sergeant at arms the other day, and uh, I meant to talk about it yesterday, but there was really no other supporting information about it. Uh, The House sergeant at arms, obviously, they could have been interested in some data from January 6th. Uh, maybe they were looking at a, a incident uh, with the House Sergeant of Arms themselves. But now it appears that that subpoena for paperwork coming from the House Sergeant at Arms uh, was related to the misspending of federal money that Cory Bush engaged in. You can't screw over Uncle Sam. Because once Uncle Sam starts counting those shekels, believe you me, my friends, they're going to come after you. Even if you're a Democrat, Cory Bush, who's part of the squad, who hates Donald Trump so much that you've made virtually your entire career out of calling every other person in the world that doesn't have your exact same skin shade a radical or a racist or a white supremacist. So the House Sergeant at Arms received this subpoena for a grand jury summons on Monday. Uh, And from the original report, House of Representatives Sergeant-at-Arms William McFarland announced his office was served a grand jury subpoena by the Justice Department, sparking a wave of theories on social media on Monday afternoon. So he, once he received that subpoena, he let uh, uh, Speaker Johnson know that this was starting to go down. uh, And uh, he let uh, Mike Johnson know, and then people started talking about it. But his, his, uh, his announcement stated, this is to notify you formally pursuant to Rule 8 of the rules of the House of Representatives that the Office of the Sergeant-at-Arms issued by the U.S. Department of Justice, House Reading Clerk Susan Cole said on Monday. So what's the thrust of the claims? Well, Cori Bush's campaign paid out over $100,000 for, quote, security services. This is the same woman who wants to defund the police. This was through the third quarter of 2022, and that's according to the Federal Election Commission. The records they keep, they're very detailed. Her campaign paid $71,201.06 to a peace security. That's a St. Louis-based private security company. Most of that remaining $30,000 for security services went to Courtney Merritts and Nathaniel Davis, whose reported address in the filings is the same as Cori Bush's campaign headquarters. So Bush has now directed over $490,000 into private security for the 2022 election cycle as she remains one of the final Democrats who are still calling for the abolishment of the police. It also turns out that she was dating the head of her security and they actually got married last year. So I think what we have in this instance is another Nathan Wade type situation. All right. We are going to bring in our special guest right now. And I think they are connecting. Uh, Jake, are you there? 
Yes, sir. Zach, my brother, God bless you. God bless you, sir. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you here. So we had attempted to have you on the show last week. It didn't work out. We had some uh, a, 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 a mishap in terms of scheduling and timing, but I'm glad to have you here uh, because we just got a really big story that dropped on the wire. Um it had actually been reported about a year ago, maybe maybe not quite a year ago, but that the FBI actually had the license plate for the pipe bomber on January 6th. Well, today, Jake, it was revealed additionally that this pipe bomber, this alleged pipe bomber, actually was a former government employee. Now, I'm not certain how former they were. Were they former at the time? Are they former now? But either way, it appears that the FBI had their license plate number and refused to interview him. And I felt that this was such a stark contrast to the treatment that people like yourself and many other defendants uh, from January 6th have received. Well, I mean, that's par for the course here. I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, just uh, kind of the positioning and the stance of the FBI has been so hostile towards people that are upstanding citizens, you know, just red-blooded Americans, everyday Joes uh, from January 6th, but those who really obviously orchestrated and caused the most damage, not just there at the protests and whatnot, but obviously, you know, the background players, the Yogananda Pittman, the Nancy Pelosi, the people that really need to be sitting chained to a chair and being questioned in, you know, an intense interrogation with a threat of imprisonment looming over them. Um, for their actions and, you know, all of the horrible stuff that's happened and basically the fallout of January 6th, none of those people are being, you know, their doors kicked in by the FBI and being dragged out at gunpoint from their family. They're going after all of us Trump supporters, everyday people and entrepreneurs and small business owners um, way more than they are. They're obviously the elite class uh, of people that are really to blame for January 6th. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a travesty. Uh, The American justice system has been turned upside down. I think that happened long before the tragedy of of the the treatment of January 6th defendants. It's been a long, slow burn kind of this is now what we're seeing is perhaps the the final destruction of the justice system. And uh, I'm sure you've also heard that there have been a number of issues uh, recently with high ranking Democrats in a variety of positions. Fannie Willis down in Georgia. Clearly corrupt, uh, clearly engaging in ethics violations. Uh, Obviously, Judge Lewis Kaplan in New York, he had an improper relationship with the attorney for E. Jean Carroll. Wasn't reported. That's an ethics violation. Uh, And uh, also the FBI and the Department of Justice uh, keeping January 6th defendants in the Washington, D.C. jurisdiction where they obviously are not going to receive a fair trial. That seems to me to be a, a fairly large breach of ethics when it comes to the way that our justice system is supposed to work. And you found some pretty amazing stuff when you started polling the residents of Washington, D.C. Well, yeah, a- amen. And it's not just an ethics violation. It is, you know, plain and simple. It is a constitutional human rights violation. We have a constitutional right. It is very clear. You have the right to an impartial jury of your peers. And so this goes way above and beyond when you withhold people from their constitutional rights, from their God-given, you know, embedded dignities. Um, it's really, I mean, you go into civil rights and human rights violations and, you know, holding people in pretrial detention like myself for three years, over three years now, without a trial, two years of that have been solitary confinement. 
um, the ethics violations kind of go out the window, and now we're talking about actual criminal conduct on their behalf. They're, they're choosing to overlook this data. Well, now we have the data. Now they can't overlook it, but they knew this going into this. Of course. All of the change of venue motions that have been denied, denied, denied um, for years while the January Sixers have pleaded their cases saying, look, you know, I have no problem. Um, I mean, not no problem, but being alleged to have commit crimes, but then going in front of a jury of my peers, let's say down in Texas or Florida or somewhere where people actually have a head on their shoulders. They're not brainwashed like Washington, D.C., um, elite class liberals um, that people will stand in trial there. They're not going to cop out to plea deals. They're going to fight the allegations and they're going to exonerate themselves because the jury is going to see, you know, the defendants were acting in a patriotic manner, not trying to escalate, you know, defending themselves in, in many different scenarios from police brutality. And they would, you know, pr- pretty much wholesale, we would be exonerated, but keeping us here in DC, these numbers tell a story that is very sad because we're talking about three years later and how many, you know, about 750 Jan Sixers have been coerced into taking plea deals simply because they say to themselves and their family, well, I can't get a fair shake in a Washington DC jury trial. So I have no choice really, but to take this, you know, plea deal that they're offering me. So how many people have, you know, waived their right to a jury trial and just taken, you know, a couple felony charges, 36 months in jail, six years in jail, five years in jail, instead of the possibility of 20 plus years, like Enrique yeah. Tario went to trial. Um, it's, it's really disgusting that they've been forced into that position. But now we have the data. So so now that you have the data in hand, what's what's the next step? I mean, is, is this something that is even going to move the needle? Because up until this point, I mean, despite I mean, this is just common sense. OK, Washington, D.C. is a microcosm. You look at the rest of the country and an overwhelming majority of people understand what truly happened on January 6th. They knew it was a setup. They knew that this was an, an act of FBI entrapment, that there was tremendous brutality, loss of life on behalf of those protesters and the people who have been charged and who have been held in these inhumane situations that you've mentioned, uh, the, uh, the, the the Washington, D.C. judges, they're the ones who's going to be looking at this now. So what's the next step? Well, that's, we will talk about the next step, but I want to go through some of these numbers okay. with your audience um, just so they can get an understanding of how gravely this miscarriage of justice has actually been perpetrated against, you know, thousands of American citizens who have been charged through January 6th. So I don't know if you can, but can you pull up J6ChangeOfVenue.com on your computer there, Zach, so they can see some of the visuals, the pie charts that Uh, we're looking at here? I'm getting it pulled up right now. J6ChangeOfVenue.com. If you guys are at home too, uh, pull that up on a separate tab and save that website because I'm going to make a call to action later for you guys to blast that out to our representatives and uh, to everybody uh, that you know, because the data here is irrefutable, and um, anybody that ignores this data is a tyrant or a coward, or they're huh, maybe uh, they have some dirt on them. That's why the judges can't uh, make the ju- the judicious decisions to let us uh, get a change of venue motion because they're probably being blackmailed or something. That sounds pretty um, likely. Yeah. But let's. Yeah. All right. Let's, so I've got it pulled up. Data. I want to go through my the. the okay. 
let's let's take a look at this pie chart question 14 of the poll so this poll let me just tell everybody first this poll was administered by triton polling they're uh, a polling and research firm that has a an amazing reputation their their veracity is unquestioned even me everybody knows me i'm very pushy right i tried pushing them hey add this you know add a couple of these words into some of these questions and stuff trying to you know make the the polling you know even even the numbers even greater because I know some words will inflame certain people, but these people said you cannot ask loaded questions. This poll will be uh, reviewed in great excruciating detail by the prosecutors and by the federal judges. We have to do this by the book, no loaded questions, no leading questions. So I said, all right, fine. You guys write the questions and administer the poll the way that you guys have been doing it for decades and let the numbers just speak for themselves. And they did. And 422 Washington, D.C. residents, our eligible jury pool, uh, were polled. And the numbers that we received, uh, you, you guys, let's take a look. Question 14. Jan th this is an agree or disagree question. Mm -hmm. January 6th was an insurrection. 85.8% of people agreed. You have to add the strongly agree and the somewhat agree together mm -hmm. and the strongly disagree and the somewhat disagree together to get the, the full numbers. 85.8% of my jury pool believes January 6th was an insurrection. We're talking nearly 90%, Zach. Mm -hmm. that, those numbers are astronomical. I mean, you can't get 90% of a people to agree on anything. Get 100 people in the room together. Try to get 90 of them to agree that the sky is blue. I'll give you a candy bar. It won't happen. People don't concur like that. These numbers are almost supernatural. You're absolutely right. Uh, it, it, but I, like I said, Washington, D.C. is kind of a microcosm. I mean, this is a very unique situation with this particular group of people living and working in Washington, D.C. We know that you know virtually all of them are leftists. Many of them work within the federal government. Uh, many of them also have a vested interest in ensuring that President Trump doesn't return to office, and that would also include ensuring that the people who support him uh, do not receive free and fair trials and are denied their constitutional rights. 100%. It is. It's that and that's the, the one of the primary facets that we're arguing in the change of venue motion is that the media saturation that has been had on the Washington D.C. residents. You know how many times have they had newspaper articles and you know uh, CNN and MSNBC, New York Times, and um, you know the Washington Post rag. All of these liberal rags absolutely just decimating and villainizing Donald Trump and the January Sixers. They can't. They've been brainwashed and the media has been weaponized against them to completely hijack the reason of thinking. And so even if these people would want to believe that they could put their preconceived notions aside to judge somebody uh, fairly on the merits of their case, we're going to see in some of these other questions that we even ask them that. Mm -hmm. And these people are so deeply ingrained with extreme prejudice against January Sixers that there is zero, there's no chance, zero chance that I can get a fair trial in Washington, D.C. The change of venue must happen to send me back to my home state of New York. Even even there in upstate New York, I would have a much greater chance of getting a uh, impartial jury. Absolutely. So, let's continue. Another question we asked. You have uh, one minute remaining. 
I, I can call you back after after this quick minute here if you have me, Zach. Okay, yes, yeah, so we, we can finish up when you call back. But go ahead. Regardless of what they did, anyone who participated in the events at the Capitol on January 6th should serve prison time. How is that? I mean, we we nailed them with that. Seven, nearly 70%, 68.8% total agreement. Mm-hmm. That's nearly 70%. Seven out of 10 of my jurors say, oh, it doesn't matter what you did, even if you just stood on the, the lawn 500 yards away from the Capitol waving a flag, you deserve prison time. That is a bias that is insurmountable, yeah. truly insurmountable. <clears throat> we need to get this data to our representatives. I'll call you back, Zach. Okay, we'll talk to you in a moment. All right, so Jake will... Thank you for using Global Telling. Jake will join us uh, in just a moment, but in the meantime, let's go ahead and go back to the D.C. pipe bomber story. You know, as much attention as the FBI and the DOJ have placed on the events of January 6th, the discovery of multiple pipe bombs at the Democratic National Committee headquarters and the Republican National Committee headquarters seem like they would be things worthy of deep dive investigation. However, the exact opposite scenario has been true. Although the attendees uh, of January 6th in the in the form of congressmen and senators would have you believe that their lives were in danger on January 6th, the exact opposite is true. And I would also suggest that the uh, actual people inside the DNC and the RNC Their lives were never at risk either because I'm not convinced that these were real pipe bombs. I don't think that they would take the chance of actually killing and maiming the people that they're working for. But despite that fact, it was necessary to investigate them as if they were. And of course, that just didn't happen. We had the videos showing the person who placed these pipe bombs walking around Washington, D.C. We also had telephone data, which showed exactly the movements of the individual. And that same telephone data would have taken the FBI or the DOJ directly to the person's home or wherever it was that they were coming or going to. So the FBI slowly over the course of three years dripped out a couple of videos here and a couple of videos there. They put a a nice little map in an animatic out there to make it appear as if they were doing a real investigation. But of course, the opposite was true. In 2022, we had a whistleblower step forward and disclosed that the FBI had vital information about the identity of this pipe bomber. Uh, But of course, they were withholding it from the public. And then in 2023, they offered a $500,000 reward for this alleged pipe bomber. And of course, if anybody had the information, half a million dollars is a lot of money. They would have come forward. So maybe, however, it's that the FBI already knows exactly who this pipe bomber is, and they don't really have a half a million dollars that they want to go ahead and uh, hand out to anybody. Maybe they're hoping that nobody ever says anything, and we out here in the public are just going to forget. But When it comes to the evidence that has been presented, I think it is categorically impossible that the FBI is still looking for this person. 
So Kyle Serafin was that whistleblower. Uh, and in May of 2023, he said that technicians who worked on the uh, various programs uh, to investigate these pipe bombs showed that they were not real pipe bombs. They were inoperable. Likely, it was a propaganda-style psychological operation designed to use as justification to attack Trump supporters, also to claim that uh, people who follow Donald Trump are just mindless right-wing terrorists. Of course, that never really kicked off, uh, but there was an attempt on social media and people on the left still to this day continue to say that. So we have this letter here uh, from uh, Representative Jim Jordan, uh, and he highlighted some really key information. Uh, as part of our oversight... Hey, hey, Zach, I'm back, brother. Oh, you're back. Okay, great, great. Okay, so uh, let's continue on. Oops, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. Hold on. Okay. And here we go. All right. Uh, go ahead, Jake. We've got uh, the next the next pie chart, which is it is important that those who participated in the events of January 6th are punished to the fullest extent of the law to prevent anything like this from happening again. And again, an overwhelming number of people strongly agreed and then even just somewhat agreed 86.4% 68.6% of those strongly agree i would imagine that anybody who agrees even just a little bit if they were on a jury your verdict is a foregone conclusion of course i mean it's it's basically akin to walking into a soviet show trial you know in the communist era there they've already got your name tag set up on the gulag door um, they're, you know, basically it's just a formality. There's no real justice there. They're just carting people directly from their homes. FBI busts down your door, drags you out in the middle of the night or early morning, um, throws you into a kangaroo court and then they just, you know, stick you in an eight by 10 cell in, uh, Washington DC jail or some other godforsaken gulag across this country. And the trials, the, arraignments, the pretrial motion hearings, the bond motions, all of these things are just formalities. There's no semblance of actual constitutional integrity there. The numbers they have, this is part of the lawfare that they're actually operating against the, the Jan Sixers, against American people. Not only are they overcharging us with, you know, their bought and paid for Soros prosecutors, not only are they over-sentencing us with the judges that are, you know, extremely zealous and corrupt, um, and they're making political statements from the bench, but they have even a third kind of lock, stock, and barrel stranglehold on us, which is the jury pools are tainted beyond repair. And so it creates a an insurmountable legal kind of, I mean, just black hole where we are really pitted, you know, like David and Goliath. Uh, the odds are, you know, 0.00001%. We're, we're going to have any semblance of justice and you know I'm, I'm i'm glad we serve a god that can can do things from impossible odds and i believe that this um this polling that we did here and some of this data is actually going to drastically change the landscape and the battlefield here of our of our court cases because it's just undeniable you you put this in front of a judge and they deny your change of venue motion now you know for certain this is like the litmus test this person is uh, bought and paid for. They're corrupt. They uh, they're going to go. They're going to be basically. They're one day they'll be disbarred and removed from power when uh, we have our power back in this country in 2024. Um, all the federal prosecutors and judges that choose to ignore this data, 
their their time is short. They will uh, be disbarred and um, they will be you know publicly uh, shamed for the ruining of uh, thousands of people's lives. Well, I can only hope that this does have a uh, measurable and meaningful impact. Obviously, the situation has been dire for a very long time. And, you know, Jake, I always come back to your just incredible, uh, indomitable spirit, uh, your 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 ability and your willingness to continue soldiering on uh, despite facing such an insurmountable foe as the, the full power and might of the United States government uh, that is engaged in a political persecution and uh, what is essentially a political witch hunt. Uh, so what is the next phase here? How do you take this information and uh, force the powers that be to actually look at it, evaluate it, and be honest about it? Well, I mean, this is going to be a two-pronged approach because you have people like myself that are pretrial detainees. We're going to be using this data in a change of venue pretrial motion, um, asking the judge, you know, before I get, uh, you know, sacrifice on the altar of uh, Democrat uh, so-called democracy here by the jurors, um, will you change my venue to my home state in New York so I can have a uh, impartial jury? And we put together that motion and we've entered into the court. The judge who I believe actually my judge um, is a man that has a strain of righteousness in him. And he's the one that dropped the 1512 obstruction of Congress charge, which led us to Supreme Court. He's a Trump appointee. Um, Mr. Nichols, Carl Nichols, and we're going to put it in front of him. We're going to argue till we're blue in the face, and I don't think the numbers he's even um, going to be able to overlook. So that's one of the first prongs is for pretrial detainees to file a change of venue motion. The second prong of attack is for those who have already been convicted, uh, wrongfully convicted of their charges from January 6th, that they're going to appeal these charges, um, appeal their conviction, saying that this evidence was, you know, hidden from them. Um, the government had, you know, a reasonable expectation, I guess, to believe that the jury pools were, in fact, not impartial. The constitutional right that I have as a defendant in the criminal matter is to an impartial jury. So I believe this case should be thrown out based upon the merit that the jury that I went in front of was, in fact, biased, tainted, and extremely prejudiced. So we are going to see hundreds of appeals being filed using this data saying that they got the you know short end of the stick. The data that's now come out was not available to them when they went to trial. And even if it was, I mean, obviously their trials wouldn't have been legitimate, but you have that aspect. So we're going to see the DOJ get a huge black eye like never before. Appeal motions are going to be getting, you know, flooded in here soon. We're working with, you know, all of the Jan Sixers that we already work with at j6legal.org, helping them get attorneys and, you know, expert witnesses and all the stuff that we do. So we've already got, you know, dozens of Jan Sixers filing appeals based on this data. And then even the People's Act that took plea deals, knowing in their heart, look, I, I know this data before you even have to tell me it. I know 90% of the Washington, D.C. residents want to see me, you know, strung up um, without a fair trial. But because of that, I'm going to take a plea deal because it's just, it's kind of pointless uh, to go in front of a jury trial where you know you're going to be found guilty. So even the people that took plea deals, I believe they have a right to appeal those plea deals saying that, now the data is factually presented and, uh, you know, I was coerced into taking a plea deal 
knowing this data in my heart was uh, the jury pools are extremely biased. So I took a plea deal, basically uh, coerced uh, under duress in, in this situation. So we have, you know, these, these different things that right now we need to fight for pretrial motions, the people who have already been convicted doing appeals, people that took plea deals, appealing those plea deals based off of that they took a deal under coercement and duress. And so we're pushing. We've got every single lawyer that I'm connected to working on this right now. Um, we've got a group of Jan Sixers. I text, you know, three, 400 of them every single day um, talking about, you know, different resources that we have available for them, legal resources, fundraising resources for their family. So everybody's in tune with this and we're going to be mounting a full scale offensive against the uh, corrupt department of justice and these, um, these prosecutors that have no souls. God well, it, it absolutely has to happen. I mean, not only for your safety, for your future, uh, but for every single one of these men that have been held in these just disgusting conditions, uh, but even more so for the future of America, because if we don't have a fair and impartial justice system or if rather if it remains an unfair and absolutely 100 percent partial justice system, uh, then woe be future generations. We're never going to be able to trust any of the systems that we need to rely on to ensure that we live in a free and fair society. So I, I'm sincerely looking forward to uh, to seeing what happens here. Now, Jake, you said that you had an action item for people. I know that you can go to the website and you can actually download the raw data yourself if you're at home. I've passed that link out. Uh, was there any other message that you had for the audience in regards to the website? Of course. Well, you know, the last, the, the last one that I want to call attention to, the last piece of data we have here, and then this is going to be part of our call to action, is we asked a question, question 16. You know, we heard 86% think we're insurrectionists, 80% think January 6th was an act of domestic terrorism. So then we followed up, we said, the penalty for insurrection, treason, or committing an act of domestic terrorism is life imprisonment or death, which would be a fair punishment for anyone who participated in any of the events of January 6th, 48% of Washington, D.C. jurors believe that to be true. They agree with that statement. That wow. is pretty much right down the line, 50%. 50% of my jurors want to see me dead before they even go in the courtroom because I'm someone is, we, we put the word very clearly. Anyone who participated in any of the events of January 6th, that's not even a, allegations of criminal conduct. That's not even saying people that have been charged criminally from January 6th. This is just your everyday American that showed up to protest. 50% of the DC residents, our jury pool, want to see us dead or in a cage for the rest of our lives. So with that being said, guys, if that doesn't scare you, I mean, you would think numbers like that for, you know, the death penalty um, or life imprisonment that, you know, an outlier of two, one, two, three percent of, you know, wackos would say that people that were trespassing on capital grounds deserve to be, you know, killed or imprisoned for life. You would think a small outlier, two, two percent, something like that would agree with that statement. But no, in D.C., it's 50 percent. So, guys, if you don't want to see. Uh, your Jan 6 brothers and sisters that are being railroaded by this corrupt regime uh, any longer be subjected to these horrible conditions of confinement and these uh, rigged jury processes. Guys, we've got to take this website, the call to action. Go and email, 
write a letter and call your representatives, right, and tell them about j6changeofvenue.com. Demand that they go on there and they check it out and say, have you guys been privy to this data? What kind of pressure are you putting on the Department of Justice and the prosecutors and all those involved in the, you know, persecution of January Sixers um, to stop this madness? And so we need to, guys, the call to action, I have the numbers right here. If you want to call your representatives, here's the number. Get Get your notepad out on your phone or write it down real quick. You can call your representatives, ask to speak to your representative, and talk to them about j6changeofvenue.com and this data. The number is 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. You call. That's a direct line to speak to any representative. You're going to say your representative name. You have one minute remaining. Tell the staff that picks up, send a message strongly and politely, demand that they check out j6changeofvenue.com and that there is reckoning for the people who are put in the positions of power in the Department of Justice, Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland and all these federal judges and prosecutors, that these people answer for this extreme prejudice that they're putting us through and the unconstitutional uh, harassment and persecution of January 6ers. Guys, that number, 202-224-3121. Call right now, please. Thank you, Zach. I love you, brother. Love you too, Jake. Stay safe. God bless. And we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. So, you know, I, th- those are some pretty shocking statistics. Uh, nearly 50% of Washington, D.C. residents want anyone who was in D.C. on January 6th who participated in constitutionally protected activities to be put to death. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about what we're up against, then I don't know what's going to wake you up. This is truly, truly an evil spiritual battle that we're fighting here. You know, this is the main difference between the left and the right. We tend to deal in logic. We deal in facts. We deal in, in, in quantitative information, things we can touch, things we can feel. All right. We don't want them dead. We just want them to stop acting crazy. Well, the difference is they're crazy and they want us dead. They want us to stop acting like we have moral high ground because we do. All right. So please, uh, one more time. I gave you that website a number of times. Uh, it was j6changeofvenue.com. Call your representatives, call your senators, 202-224-3121. Let them know about this website and the information contained therein because it's simply not fair to allow this to continue on in the way that it has. It's also not fair for the FBI to pretend that they're investigating anything at all other than their own best interests and the uh, attack dog uh, tactics that they use to uh, help out their political party and to dem- to deter Americans from engaging in constitutionally protected activity and to destroy the enemies of their political party. So this website, excuse me, this whistleblower had come forward, Kyle Serafin, uh, to tell us that the FBI was hiding information about the J-6 pipe bomber. Uh, well, now it turns out that they actually know who the guy is. He's a former employee of the government, and the FBI refused to interview him. How do they know how, who he is? Well, they got his license plate because Washington, D.C., I said this initially, 
back then, three years ago, I said they'll know who it is uh, in, immediately because Washington, D.C. is one of the most uh, heavily surveilled cities on planet Earth. I mean, it's like D.C., uh, London, Hong Kong. <laughs> you know, you go to any of these big government centers and you're going to have cameras every single streetlight, every single corner, every single building. There's no way this guy walked through Washington, D.C. He would have had to drive into D.C. and then walk through the city, drop that stuff off. They would have gotten him on every single camera going right back there. And then they got his car and then they got his license plate. But the FBI didn't want anything to do with him. So this is a former FBI agent that's come forward to say this because evidently they're as sick of this as we are. Uh, they quickly, very quickly believe that they tied a license plate to this person who planted the pipe bombs at the DNC and the RNC. Uh, and they tied it to a particular Metro fare card and then tied it to the license plate. But they would not allow the FBI and this agent who is now coming forward with this information to interview the person of interest, and they pulled his team off the lead. This sounds a lot like the investigations into Joe, Hunter, and the entire Biden crime family. Anytime somebody gets close, the FBI says, we'll take it from here, and you don't need to have anything else to do with it. So in the same way, this raises questions about the uh, the the – the integrity, the ethics uh, of the FBI it raises a lot of questions about the nature of these bombs. This is not an attack from a violent Trump supporter. And in the same way that January 6th itself was a setup, it looks like the pipe bombs themselves were a setup. So Kyle Serafin, who led FBI surveillance teams, told The Daily Wire this month that a counterintelligence team met him at a firehouse in Falls Church, Virginia, to brief him on his next surveillance target. They had used security footage to follow that person into a metro station after he planted the bombs and identified the fare card that he used. Now, the fare card then allowed them to determine that the person got off at a metro stop in northern Virginia. And this is where surveillance footage shows him entering a car. Both the car and the fare card were in the name of the same person. It's a retired Air Force Chief Master Sergeant who now works as a contractor with a security clearance. So Serafin and his team were assigned to take out the person's uh, home, stake it out and check it out for a few days. But then the FBI blocked his request to interview them. Uh, they said that they were called off the target completely and told to pour through low priority leads about tips on people like us, basically. So if this individual, as a former government employee, is now working as a security uh, contractor, and he still maintains a government clearance, how likely do you think it is that he was intentionally tasked with dropping those pipe bombs off on January 6th? Because, of course, the deep state knew exactly what was going to happen. I mean, that's the only logical conclusion that I can come up with. All right. So uh, Corey Bush is in trouble. We read about that one. Oh, yes. And Alejandro Mayorkas uh, was in Congress today getting his uh, his his comeuppance, his his impeachment papers. Now, he was not happy about it. Uh, he claimed in a statement that the GOP was uh, rattling him with false allegations, although the allegations are that he has willfully uh, refused to enforce the law. I don't see how you can see anything other than that. But, of course, he has to use a certain line. Oh, it's a politically motivated attack. It's a personal attack against me. 
Well, no, Alejandro Mayorkas, you've been involved in a politically motivated and very personal attack against the people of the United States of America, where as the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, you have failed to follow through on the mission of the agency. You have failed to uphold your oath to the Constitution. He wrote a seven page letter that he sent to Homeland Security Chairman Mark Green early this morning. This is just a few hours before they were going to be voting on the articles of impeachment against him. Uh, he said, I assure you that your false accusations do not rattle me and do not divert me from the law enforcement and broader public service mission to which I have devoted most of my career and to which I remain devoted. I think his mission is more about devoting the resources necessary to allow an invasion-sized force of military-age men to come into the United States of America so that they can be activated, much in the same way the FBI pipe bomber was activated on January 6th. So Mayorkas is not happy about it. Uh, and, of course, the uh, members in the House who were voting on the articles of impeachment today, uh, I am certain that the impeachment is going to go ahead and pass. And then that's going to be uh, an, an, an option for the Senate to take up uh, at the end of the day. Now, considering how deep this issue goes with the, uh, the the situation at the southern border this is the top issue among voters of all demographics left right young old black white hispanic whatever it is everyone knows that this is probably the worst thing that you can have for america this is not a baseless accusation uh this is not a personal attack on alejandro mayorkas although I think it's safe to say that he has not done his job very well. Uh, if he takes that personally, well, then, you know, he had an opportunity to do his job exactly as outlined by the letter of the law that's already on the books here in the United States of America. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, he chose to do something else. So Alejandro Mayorkas is now going to find himself on trial in the Senate. And uh, I'm very excited to see it happening. Now, in the same way that... We took the name Banana Republic from governments that were authoritarian uh, and who jailed and banned political opposition down in South America and Central America. Those banana republics are continuing to honor that name as we speak uh, in Venezuela where they have been a communist dictatorship ever since uh, Maduro took power and then passed it on. Oh, excuse me. Uh, um Shoot, I forgot the name of uh, Maduro's predecessor. Uh, well, uh, you, 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 I'm sure you guys know who I'm talking about. But anyways, they've been a communist dictatorship for some time. And Maduro is currently uh, the Venezuelan Marxist president. Uh, he has prevented his top opposition from running in the election. This is exactly like what the Democrats are doing right here. And the people of Venezuela are in dire straits, very dire straits. Inflation is out of control. People are starving. Uh, people are fleeing Venezuela in record numbers. They're oftentimes coming through the Darien Gap and then up through the porous southern border here in the United States. Uh, but Maduro cannot possibly 
chance the fact that he might lose an election because if he does, then obviously all the wonderful, nice things that he's allowed to have are going to go away. So he's banning opposition leaders, jailing opposition leaders, and the same sort of thing is happening in Brazil. Uh, we just had the son of the former president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro. He, he was targeted in a federal police raid. And at the same time, there were a number of deputies for Bolsonaro that were also targeted. Now, uh, they're also worried that Bolsonaro is going to make a return in the same way that President Trump is going to make a return. So this was authorized by the Supreme Federal Court Justice Alexandre de Mores. Uh, this is somebody who has had open disdain for Bolsonaro and his supporters for quite some time. And the federal police now being under the leadership of the government, which is also headed by a communist, Lula da Silva, uh, it is claiming that these conservative opposition figures in Brazil have engaged in some sort of criminal activity. Uh, the police coming in and and uh, raiding their homes, arresting them and charging them with uh, a variety of different crimes. Uh, you can bet that they're all just as uh, as honest and, and, and serious as the crimes that President Trump has been accused of committing here in the United States as well. And despite the best efforts of the left to stop Donald Trump, despite all of those court cases that he continues to face, uh, President Trump continues to win at the state level. We just had yet another uh, attempt in the state of Illinois to ban President Trump from appearing on the ballot. Now, luckily, this attempt is uh, nowhere close to even taking place. Uh, this is just a day after the Massachusetts Supreme Court also denied a petition to bar President Trump from the ballots. This one was done at the level of the state elections board. They unanimously uh, voted to allow President Trump to remain on the ballot. Now, this uh, attempt to remove him was done in the exact same way as all of them. 14th Amendment seeking to bar him for committing insurrection. He obviously didn't commit insurrection. So President Trump uh, is is allowed to remain on there. And when it comes down to the final uh, election day tallies, you can bet that the vast majority of people in every single state are going to be voting overwhelmingly for President Trump. But even more than that, it appears that the case of the secret documents down in Mar-a-Lago might very well be in jeopardy, just as a number of these other cases are also in serious jeopardy. It turns out that there is a secretive and little-known Obama administration directive that was designed to shield the White House from foreign cyber attacks. And it may be something that President Trump and his lawyers can use in this court case uh, to limit and uh, destroy any possible liability that they may be attempting to attach to him with these classified documents they claim he had no right to go ahead and uh, and hold on to. So America First Legal has done incredible work over the last couple of years. Uh, they have really stood in the gap on a number of issues, and this case is so vitally important. Um, but they shared with the Washington Examiner a six-page Freedom of Information Act request that they sought to understand more about this secretive order uh, and the technology committee that was created by former President Barack Obama after a fall 2014 cyber attack breached an unclassified network that served the executive office of the president. So 
between reports of these two different hacking incidents that were at the time believed to be tied to the Russian government in late 2014 and then the spring of 2015, Obama signed an executive action uh, for a White House information technology director and an executive committee for presidential information technology. Now, if we take a look at the 2015 PITC memorandum, what it did was establish the president's exclusive, I repeat, exclusive control over information resources that were provided to the president, also to the vice president and the EOP, the executive office of the president. Moreover, It made it very clear that any records that were sent to the executive office of the president's systems or records stemming from those systems are controlled by the president. So that means that all of those records that President Trump was found with, yeah, he he was uh, legally allowed to possess them. So because of President Obama's executive action, President Trump could reasonably have concluded that all information provided to him in office was within his exclusive control. Uh, And that's coming from America First Leader's letter to the FOIA Requester Service Center, which was referencing the classified documents case that's currently being led by crazy special counsel Jack Smith. So this 37-page indictment uh, that President Trump obviously pled not guilty to uh, shows that Perhaps these classified documents that he was in possession of, despite the fact that prosecutors allege he refused to turn them over, the truth is he never had the responsibility to turn them over because he was the president of the freaking United States. So there was no attempt to obstruct the government's efforts to retrieve those records. Perhaps that entire time he was operating on the assumption, based upon the executive action signed by President Barack Obama shortly before President Trump took office, that there was no reason, there was no rationale for him to have given those documents up. He was, after all, the president of the United States. Now, on top of that, we know that President Trump's uh, immunity was stripped away by Joe Biden. However, the Biden administration was not aware of a Q clearance that President Trump was in possession of and still remains in possession of from the Department of Energy. That clearance itself would have been sufficient for President Trump to hold on to all of those documents. And now that we have the argument that's clearly being made that President Obama paved the way for President Trump to have access and to maintain all of those documents, well, it's going to be much more difficult for the DOJ to prove their case, and it might be enough to just have it thrown out. So Obama's PITC memo may have created a reasonable belief for President Trump that he had the authority to maintain those documents and that those documents President Trump was maintaining were still meant to be preserved within the executive office of the president or the U.S. Department of Defense as part of that PITC system, which would have meant that they were duplicated and shared around. It's not like President Trump had the only copies. These were copies of documents that he had been given as the president of the United States. So according to the filing in a 2018 FOIA lawsuit known as the Cause of Action Institute versus the Department of the Army, there was an official at that time handling the group's request and 
conceded that the software that the executive office of the president uses is actually located within the Department of Defense, which under the PITC memo would be subject to the control of the president. Hmm, the president would be in control. Of course, of course you would. So they presume then that the servers at the Department of Defense did in fact store this same information. But they filed their FOIA request to learn what information the Pentagon stored, as well as to discover the information stored on that PITC network that was put in place by President Barack Obama. Uh, and, of course, this network formed the basis for Jack Smith's prosecution of President Trump. So if they did store that information, the evidence should have been disclosed to former President Trump, and it may be relevant to his liability. This would be akin to a Brady violation on behalf of the Department of Justice and, of course, Jack Smith. Uh, a lawyer working for America First Legal, Daniel Epstein, said he believes the request is a matter to be looked into by both Jack Smith and then, of course, Robert Hur, who is the special counsel who's overseeing Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents during his vice presidential tenure. Now, of course, looking at the executive action from President Barack Obama, he gives no such power to the vice president. So quite literally, this new find actually places more liability on Joe Biden and it strips any liability from President Donald Trump. That, my friends, is bad news for the deep state. Now, I also have an update on the situation with Fannie Willis. Bad, bad news for Fannie Willis. I told you yesterday about the special committee investigation that's going to be going on in the Senate. Well, I missed this over the weekend. They're actually voting to impeach Fannie Willis in the Georgia State House. Uh, and they are also reviving a special prosecutor oversight panel to look into the situation with Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade and, of course, their uh, love boat trips and all of that. But Georgia House members passed a bill yesterday uh, to revive this commission with powers to discipline and remove prosecutors. This is a move that uh, Democrats are afraid is going to disrupt their case against Donald Trump because it's not really Fannie Willis's case. This is Joe Biden and his regime's case. The order passed along party lines roughly 95 to 75. It was titled House Bill 88-881, and it has now been sent to the Senate for further debate. I I have a very important uh, citation that I want to add here. Uh, The 95, obviously, that's the Republicans in the Georgia State Assembly. And then once it goes to the Senate for uh, approval and it gets signed into law – The Republicans also control the Senate as well. And now that all of this information about the ethical considerations that Fannie Willis has completely, completely overlooked uh, and, of course, the misuse of public funds in the same way Cori Bush, I don't think she's going to get away with spending Uncle Sam's money. The state of Georgia is going to want their piece of the peach back as well. Uh, So now we have multiple concurrent investigations uh, looking at this from a criminal aspect, uh, from a civil aspect. Fannie Willis is potentially on the verge of actually losing her right to practice law in the state of Georgia and perhaps anywhere at this point. But the commission – is going to look into and begin some real work uh, holding uh, Fannie Willis and uh, perhaps any of her co-conspirators accountable. 
Now, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed legislation last year which created the Prosecuting Attorneys Qualifications Commission. Uh, this was the uh, commission that had previously been operating after the state Supreme Court refused to approve rules governing its conduct. So justices had grave doubts at that time about their ability to regulate the duties of district attorneys beyond the practice of law. This new motion that passed yesterday removes the requirement for the Supreme Court to have any say over what happens. So it's now going to be an impartial and bipartisan commission that has no connection at all to the Georgia State Supreme Court. So from the uh, Joe Burns House Speaker, the Georgia State Assembly, today the House passed HB 881 to hold district attorneys and solicitors general across Georgia accountable. Georgians deserve district attorneys who are focused on upholding their oath of office, prosecuting criminals, and doing their job to keep our communities safe. I am confident that the Prosecuting Attorneys Qualifications Commission will ensure that happens. I look forward to the Senate acting quickly on this important legislation and delivering it to Governor Kemp to sign into law. So the Georgia State Supreme Court looked at their jurisdiction. They looked at their own oversight power. They had some concerns and they said, hey, we don't think we could do this. So the answer is no oversight. <laughs> don't, we don't need the Georgia State Supreme Court to provide oversight. Why can't the state assembly provide the oversight? I mean, there are all kinds of things, all kinds of laws, all kinds of rules and regulations that happen all across America all the time. And uh, we don't demand this uh, this sort of rigorous oversight. Certainly, Fannie Willis has been away, able to get away with as much as she has up until this point because it's clear Nobody has been providing oversight for her and for her office. Well, now that is drastically changing, my friends. And with regards to her impeachment, Fannie Willis was impeached or has been uh, had articles of impeachment rather filed against her in that same Georgia State Assembly. Uh, the individual who passed this resolution is State Representative Charlize Byrd. She is, of course, a Republican. Uh, she said that Fannie Willis is using her office not for justice, but for political gain. This is an argument we've used on a number of occasions. The prosecution of President Trump has nothing to do with the implementation of justice. Uh, it has everything to do with the crushing of the political opposition. So uh, it was on last Friday that they initially voted to approve the formation of the committee I just told you about. Uh, and with the impeachment, with the investigation in the committee, with the investigation in the Senate, uh, with likely an investigation at the state level in a different jurisdiction, Fannie Willis is screwed. Fannie Willis is going to have people looking in her underwear with a microscope, and they're going to find dirt. I guarantee it. So Byrd accused Willis of violating the First Amendment by hunting down and indicting conservatives for scrutinizing the 2020 electoral results, as she did, as she has. That's exactly what happened. Uh, in this country, it used to be okay, used to be totally permissible to question the results of an election. I mean, the Democrats do it every single time. And even 
even if they win, other Democrats are going to say, hey, you know, maybe that's a, uh, that's a state of cheating. She also diagnosed D.A. Fannie Willis with Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, she certainly has that as well. And she ripped her for her potential conflict of interests, which include her alleged relationship with Nathan Wade, who, of course, stands accused of using the funds that his girlfriend, Fannie Willis, paid him to take her on luxurious vacations, romantic trips on cruises all around the world. So this, my friends, is going to be very, very bad for Fannie Willis. On top of that, the judge in the case has recently unsealed the divorce proceedings of Nathan Wade and his soon-to-be ex-wife, Jocelyn Wade. Nathan Wade is freaking out, and you have to admit that Fannie Willis is probably freaking out about this, too. It seems like her whole world is just crashing down on her all at once. How does it feel, Fannie? How does it feel to have the long arm of the law within very, very close reach? So... Nathan Wade is now asking for a protective order because the judge unsealed these divorce records. Uh, Jocelyn Wade is the one who fought to unseal them. Obviously, Fanny and Nathan, they don't want anybody looking at their dirty laundry. But this motion that was granted to unseal this divorce records uh, obviously was a good one for truth, transparency, and of course, the pay the taxpayers of Fulton County. So, uh, this issue had been stayed on Fannie Willis's deposition. Of course, the divorce largely revolves around her affair with Nathan Wade. But Willis uh, is now going to uh, give a deposition. She was actually scheduled to give that deposition last Tuesday. Uh, Jocelyn Wade's attorney told the judge last Monday that her clients want Fannie Willis's deposition not as a Fulton County D.A., but as the alleged paramour of my client's husband. That's right. Fannie Willis was the other woman. And of course, she needs to testify in this divorce. If it wasn't for Fannie Willis polishing Nathan Wade's knob, uh, getting her biscuits buttered, then it's likely that Nathan and Jocelyn would still be in a loving, committed relationship. Why is it these people can't keep it in their pants? I have questions and she needs to answer them, Jocelyn Wade's lawyer said. So Nathan Wade is now asking for a protective order. This improper romantic relationship, I'm certain, has brought some negative attention not only to Fannie Willis and the office of the prosecutor, but of course the office of the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade. Now, the financial benefits that both of them were able to attain as a result of his hiring as that special prosecutor, well, of course, that's something that the taxpayers of Fulton County need to know about. So this motion was filed with Superior Court of Fulton County on behalf of Michael Roman, who is one of those defendants. And luckily, he must have gotten reached out to by Jocelyn or perhaps somebody else who was involved in this case. Uh, now, it looks like we've got a clip that goes along with this, or I thought we did. I guess we don't. That's fine. Oh, here it is. Here it is. All right. This is Jocelyn Wade's lawyer. Your Honor, I think that you honed in on exactly what the issue is here today, um, naturally. The face of her pleading shows that she has unique knowledge with regards to this case. She could have filed a motion for protective order alleging all of the... Is she wearing a... She's wearing a scorpion. Oh, man. This woman. This woman. Look at redhead wearing a scorpion. She's letting Fannie Willis know that she's playing for keeps. 
She's there to get all of the information. I love it. Grounds for which she would like to not have to sit for a deposition. She believes she's protected. But she didn't stop there. She went further. She asserted in her pleading, her motion for protective order to prevent herself from sitting for a deposition, that she knows is the cause, she knows the cause of the separation of these people. She knows detailed facts, allegedly, about their relationship. And albeit we'll deal with the falsity of those at a different hearing, that's what she said. She said it in her pleading. So on its face, her argument fails that she does not have unique knowledge with regards to the party's marriage and the situation. Oh, I also forgot. We cannot. We cannot forget about the tongue lashing that Fannie Willis is soon to get from the judge who's presiding over the case against President Trump and his 17 co-defendants. He has also scheduled that court hearing to demand that Fannie Willis come in and answer for all of these allegations that are being made against her. Here's the thing. Fannie Willis stands to lose her ability to practice law. She is going to be completely discredited 30 years down the drain because she decided to back the wrong horse. And, of course, she decided to break up a marriage. You know what they said? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And Jocelyn Wade being that woman, well, my friends, she is going to take Fannie Willis out behind the woodshed. So I cannot wait. We've got we've got the divorce. We've got the judge in the actual RICO case who is forcing her to speak in an open court that's going to be publicly televised. I'm going to play that here. We've also got the impeachment. We've got the special committee that's looking into her. We've got the Senate that is doing an investigation. And at this point, there may be some other legal implications because she has illegally, criminally benefited from the pay that she was giving to Nathan Wade. So maybe there's going to be a Georgia Bureau of Investigation investigation. We're talking about six, count them, six. Fannie Willis might have more court cases coming up here real soon than President Trump has all at once now. So as President Trump's cases evaporate, Fannie Willis's cases are just being set on fire. That is so good. Amazing news. Uh, Now, somebody who has up until this point been gloating in the same way that Fannie Willis used to get up there in front of the mic and gloat has been E. Jean Carroll. She's continued with her whistle stop tour, uh, going on left wing talking head programs, uh, giddily recounting to anybody who will listen the, what she's going to do with that $83 million judgment. You know what they say, E. Jean Carroll? Don't count your chickens before they hatch. And those chickens, my friends, are very much in the embryonic stages. They're still in the eggs, and I don't think that she's going to ever get a chance to sit on them and hatch them out herself. So she went on Rachel Maddow's program, uh, and you can see she's wearing the same outfit. This is uh, probably her 10th or 15th interview she did yesterday. Here she is appearing with her legal team, that one right there on the left with the Rachel Maddow-style haircut. That is Roberta Kaplan, Roberta Kaplan being her attorney, not the same Kaplan as Judge Lewis Kaplan, the judge that oversaw the case. They are not family, but I'll tell you what, they may as well be family because it turns out that their ethical breaches go far beyond simply having worked together in the same law firm, a large law firm. 
many years ago. They only worked together for two years, they said. That's why we didn't bother to put it out there as a potential conflict of interest. No, they knew that by keeping it a secret, they could potentially make it all the way through the court case against President Trump and that they could collude together to destroy President Trump and to take as much money as they possibly could. If this would have happened in any other case, this would be immediate grounds for a new trial. And of course, that's what Alina Haba and President Trump's legal team are looking to do. But it gets so much worse. I said they're not family, but they might as well be. Well, it turns out that they essentially are part of the same family. Judge Lewis Kaplan actually officiated Roberta Kaplan's wedding. Her and her wife got married, and it was Judge Kaplan who actually married them. It also turns out that they did a lot more than just work in the same office for a couple of years. <clears throat> this development is profoundly disturbing in its implications because it shows that these two supposedly brilliant legal minds through willful neglect of their duties as officers of the court had one thing in mind when they went into this situation, destroy Donald Trump at any cost, by any means necessary. It is a major conflict of interest. Judge Kaplan, as a federal judge, had all of the knowledge necessary to let him know that he should not preside over this case if Roberta Kaplan was going to be the attorney. Never mind the fact that he is a Clinton-appointed judge, and I would have to assume that perhaps there is an ongoing connection between Judge Kaplan and the Clintons. Who's to say that the Clintons didn't say, do do whatever you can, do whatever you can to destroy that Donald Trump? So... The connection was uncovered initially by Charles Gasparino. He got a tip that Judge Kaplan and Roberta Kaplan worked together. More than that, he was her mentor. He helped her come up. From 1992 until 2016, Roberta Kaplan worked at Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison. And during this same time, from 1992 to 2016, Judge Lewis Kaplan also held a position as a partner at the same firm. Judge Kaplan served as a partner until his appointment on the federal bench in 1994. While Roberta Kaplan continued to work there, then she founded her own firm, Kaplan, Hecker, and Fink. Uh, as a result of that story that was published in the New York Post, defense counsel Alina Haba learned for the very first time the allegations that your honor, while a partner at the Paul Weiss firm, had a mentor-type relationship with the plaintiff's lead counsel. This is from Alina Haba in a letter that she addressed to Judge Kaplan late yesterday afternoon. Most concerning is that the article was brought to the New York Post's attention by an unnamed partner at Paul Weiss. That means that somebody who used to work with both of these people said, you know what? This is not okay. Somebody needs to say something because it's clear these two clowns are never going to admit that, yes, they knew each other. Yes, they were very close. Yes, Judge Kaplan was a mentor to Roberta Kaplan, basically probably taught her what type of a lawyer she wanted to be, the dirty, slimy type. 
So they are aware of that close relationship between Judge Kaplan and Miss Kaplan and stated that Lou was like a mentor to her. The underlying defamation case tried last year and the damages trial completed last week were both litigations in which there were many clashes between Judge Lewis Kaplan and defense counsel. We believe and we will argue on appeal that the court was overtly hostile towards defense counsel and President Trump and displayed preferential treatment towards the plaintiff's counsel. And indeed, the rulings, tone and demeanor of the bench raised significant concerns even before the New York Post's investigative journalism unearthed those new facts. If your honor truly worked with Miss Kaplan in any capacity, especially if there was a mentor-mentee relationship, that fact should have been disclosed before any case involving these parties was permitted to proceed forward. Now, Roberta Kaplan has denied allegations that she had a mentor-mentee relationship with Judge Kaplan. I mean, of course, she's a liar. She's a cheat. She's not going to admit that stuff, probably until she's placed under oath. But when Kaplan joined the firm as a junior litigation assistant associate, rather, in October of 1992, it was pointed out that their time at the firm was that short time span, only two years. But I'll tell you what, you can get to know somebody pretty well over a two-year period. Kaplan claimed she does not recall any direct involvement with Judge Kaplan on cases, client meetings, or court proceedings during that period. What about personal time in the office? Uh, what about your time studying or perhaps making copies or finding case precedent for the judge? I mean, who's to say you guys didn't sit together every morning in the breakfast nook and share a Danish and a cup of coffee? She distinctly leaves out any personal relationship. She claimed that she did not have any contact with Judge Kaplan in a professional sense. She stated during that relatively brief period, more than 30 years ago, I do remember that Paul Weiss partners with whom I worked and none of them was your honor. More specifically, I have no recollection from the time period of even interacting with your honor on a case, participating with your honor in a client or case-based meeting or attending a court proceeding with your honor. In fact, I remember no direct interaction from that time period with your honor at all. Given the above, there was nothing for your honor to disclose, Roberta ends. Now, Robert Kaplan, Roberta Kaplan, then attacked the New York Post and questioned the sources of this information, suggesting a need for scrutiny regarding the origins of the claim. She wants people to be doxxed. She wants sources to be given up. Well, obviously, whoever made these claims has the knowledge, but they fear for their own safety. I mean, Judge Kaplan has already shown that he's more than happy to help railroad someone if it means that you can shut them up. They are more than happy to ruin someone's reputation, to ruin their business, to destroy their political ambitions. These are the types of things that these people are willing to do up to and including assassination or death. Now, adding to the controversy, it was revealed that Sean Crowley, who is this woman you see right there, who is one of Carol's lead counsels, is reported to have previously served as a law clerk for Judge Kaplan. Furthermore, it's been disclosed that the judge co-officiated Crowley's wedding. And I'm sorry, I got that fact wrong in the introduction. It wasn't Roberta Kaplan that he married. It was this woman right here, the other counsel for E. Jean Carroll. 
So that's now two different personal relationships that were never disclosed and should have been disclosed. It's a clear ethical violation. It's a clear violation of President Trump's constitutional right to a fair trial, to a fair and unbalanced and fair and and and, uh, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So this issue is particularly concerning since the plaintiff's other lead counsel served as your honor's law clerk, as we were previously advised that your honor co-officiated her wedding. Remember in the other trial, the Arthur and Gorin trial, uh, he was really close with the court reporter or, or another officer of the court. They were both working to take down President Trump. It, it's This is a clear pattern of abuse here. We have conflicts of interest that present themselves over and over and over again, and they always present themselves in the same way. It's the same with the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, whereas no reasonable prosecutor would file charges against Hillary Clinton for having a private, unsecured bathroom server in her or email server in her bathroom. Of course, President Trump steps over the, the line and is charged with jaywalking. They want to put him in the electric chair. So these revelations have prompted President Trump's lawyers to reference 28 U.S.C. Section 455A, which mandates that a judge must disqualify themselves from any proceeding where their impartiality might reasonably be questioned and reasonably it is being questioned. If these various forms of ethical violations and conflicts of interest had been known prior to the trial beginning, they would have raised the same concerns and the judge would have had no choice but to recuse himself from that case. Uh, Under Canon 3 of the Code of Conduct for United States judges, circumstances that require a judge's disqualification include scenarios where the judge possesses personal bias or prejudice concerning a party or has personal knowledge of disputed evidentiary facts. Uh, And I would say that that probably is going to apply in this case as well. So let's see what, uh, what those might be listed as. A judge shall disqualify himself or herself in a proceeding in which the judge's impartiality might reasonably be questioned, including but not limited to instances of a the judge has a personal bias or prejudice concerning a party or a personal knowledge of disputed evidentiary facts concerning the proceeding. In this instance, considering the fact that his former mentee was representing the plaintiff in this case in two different trials, mind you. We had the first one and then the second one. Uh, He had ample opportunity to bring this stuff forward. Uh, Considering that fact, it's reasonable to assume he might have a bias towards the plaintiff because it's his friend that's out there representing. It's also reasonable to assume that he might have bias against President Trump in a negative respect, not only because he's a Clinton-appointed judge and he's from New York, but because he's clearly part of the DNC warmonger New World Order deep state scene that we're trying to eliminate from Washington, D.C. Also, The judge has served as a lawyer in the matter of controversy or a lawyer with whom the judge previously practiced law served during such association as a lawyer concerning the matter. So the exact scenario that we have here, Judge Kaplan and Roberta Kaplan worked together for years, and now she is representing someone who is suing President Trump. So the code of conduct of the United States, 175 FRD 363-368, Uh, While not every mere friendship between a judge and a lawyer warrants disclosure and possible recusal by a judge, as the Fifth Circuit recently explained, recusal and disqualification issues based on possible bias or prejudice require a highly 
fact-intensive inquiry. So right there, they may attempt to use this passage right here. Not every friendship between a judge and jury warrants disclosure. Well, obviously, in order to determine that, there was no highly fact-intensive inquiry that was made. It was simply just a trust-me-bro I'm not going to give preferential treatment to the people who hate Donald Trump, and you can just trust me that uh, I am totally impartial. Well, we have found that the American justice system today is anything but impartial. It is 100% partial, and it's always biased in one direction, and that is against President Trump. It's against people who love the United States of America. So, Clearly, the team for President Trump, they're concerned that the connection could give the rise of an appearance of partiality. I believe that it does. I think any level-headed person is going to come to the same conclusion. Uh, And even though not every friendship between a judge and a lawyer automatically warrants recusal, President Trump's lawyers are going to argue that the nature of the relationship at least – should have been disclosed. And now they're invoking recent case law that emphasizes the importance of maintaining the appearance of impartiality. Again, it's the appearance of impartiality. If you have the appearance of partiality, then you must recuse yourself. You cannot be involved. So uh, the defense has yet to decide on the specific relief they're going to seek. They want to look into this as deeply as possible and get as much information as possible, maybe even some more evidence to suggest that Roberta Kaplan and Judge Kaplan colluded together to try to take down President Trump. So they can't exactly tell everybody what's going to happen. But I can tell you this, that in every other case such as this that I have ever researched, this is nearly a foregone conclusion that President Trump is going to be given a new trial, perhaps a new set of trials, because he clearly was railroaded and this never, ever should have gone down. So President Trump, I believe, is in a very good position when it comes to the issue with E. Jean Carroll. He's in a great position when it comes to the RICO case down in Georgia. He's in an excellent position when it comes to Jack Smith's classified documents case. Uh, What am I missing here, guys? What am I missing? I think that President Trump is going to go scot-free on all of these. He's going to be exonerated in every single case. He's going to be proven innocent. He's already innocent. The only thing that we're waiting on is for the powers that be to accept it. Am I missing any cases, guys? I feel like that's it. (laughs) So anyways. Ah, Okay. So Elon Musk yesterday announced that the very first person uh, in the world has received the Neuralink microchip in their brain. Now, You guys know how I feel about this. I think that this is a slippery slope. I think that the transhumanist agenda is part of the satanic agenda of the New World Order. I think that they would love nothing more than to be able to control you at a granular level, at a cellular level. And they – let me see. Okay. So – If you have a microchip in your brain and it connects to an external machine, uh, how can they assure anyone that that external machine is 100% secure and could never be breached? And if it was breached, how could we know that that machine then wouldn't be able to control 
the actions of the person who has that microchip implanted in their brain or even more than that, to influence them to do certain things or to feel a certain way. Uh, the, the implications for this are far re- far reaching and I think very distressing. Now, as uh, a test case, if there was ever a reason to put a microchip in someone's brain, it would be this case here. Uh, you know, we're talking about somebody who had, uh, I believe, a spinal cord injury. Uh, this is a person who did not have the ability to communicate or, or use their their limbs anymore. Uh, <clears throat> but the possibilities for abuse in such a case are just so plainly obvious to me. And I'm not interested in getting a neural link chip myself, but you know that once these uh, become – 100% safe and widely adopted, there's going to be a lot of people who are lining up at the door uh, looking to get them because it's going to give them an advantage. It, it's undoubtedly it's going to give them an advantage. It's going to give you the ability to access all the information on the Internet that they let you access at the tip of your fingers. You know, I remember when The Matrix came out initially and uh, and Neo answers the phone and boom, they teach him. Karate. They, they teach him French. You know, I thought, man, how cool would that be if we had the technology to just give you the information like that? And uh, and and now as I've matured and I've seen what the implications of these technologies are on the human brain for the future of our people, I find it to be highly distressing. And the people who get these implants, maybe they will have an advantage. So they're going to create a whole new class of people. It's like, you know, right now, you know, we, we've got it's it's bad enough with men and women and trans people. OK, uh, it's bad enough that they want to separate us by our race. It's bad enough they want to separate us by our religion. It's bad enough they want to separate us by our political party. You know, they barely even separate us by country as anymore. I mean, borders don't even really exist in many areas of the world. Although they should. Uh, I'm a firm believer in borders being a major deterrent to invasion. I mean, look at thousands of years of recorded history. Uh, They put walls around cities for a reason. Uh, They held back invading armies with uh, a large force for a reason. You got to have the safety net set up. Easiest way to do that is with a physical barrier. Take a look at Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank. What do they got? Walls. Of course. Look at East and West Germany. What do they have? A wall. Clearly, the implementation of it and the people who are actually doing that implementing is going to have a major impact on exactly how it's used for what purposes and whether or not it's going to be a positive thing. When the Berlin Wall fell down, that was great. Germany reunified. Boom. Uh, you had uh, the fall of the the, the Soviet Uh, empire. You had the fall of the Iron Curtain. It was a good thing for people. But now with them putting microchips in people's brains, you know, who's to say that uh, someone isn't going to do that and then keep it a secret? Maybe they'll use it to their advantage. Uh, Are they going to have a whole secondary category of individuals? Like, is everybody who shows up on Jeopardy going to be implanted with one of these chips? Uh, What are the long-term effects of having that chip in your brain? Uh, What possible negative repercussions could happen inside the human body as a result of this foreign body uh, being implanted in there? 
Uh, what about the potential for brain damage? Obviously, the people at Neuralink have been operating on dogs and pigs and monkeys for several years now. So I think they've probably uh, made the assumption that they relatively safely can implant this. But I just – I don't think it's worth it and I, I think that – I think that it's great that they're going to give somebody the ability to speak again, communicate, uh, perhaps even walk again one day. But I just do not trust humanity in our current state uh, to not use this for the worst possible purposes. I think that nefarious intent is is going to always subvert things that could otherwise be good. We have psychopaths running the world nowadays, and they're present in every country. They're present in every industry. And I also think that there is a distinct possibility that if they can have direct access to your mind, they can control you. They can implant information. They can maybe give you false memories. They can upload propaganda to you. They can uh, make you decide who you're going to vote for. They may even be able to physically manipulate your body. So you can count me in with the pure blood contingent. I am pure from mRNA clot shots. I'm I'm pure from uh, robotics enhancing my brain or my body. And uh, maybe, you guys, we're the last generation of people who are truly human. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Eliza Jane says, I just cannot believe that they can do better than God. And transgender is a good example. No matter all the technology of changing a man, to a woman, they commit suicide. You're, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think that one of their obsessions with, uh, with with their transhumanism, the transgender stuff, they're obsessed with taking you as far away from God as uh, as you should be. You know, they, t- they want us to believe that we need to be something else, that we're not good enough the way that they are. Well, you know, we've got thousands of years of recorded history where people are just people and society has survived. And now that we're in the midst of this transhumanism, transgenderism uh, epidemic going on, uh, society is on the brink of collapse. You know, there are people who suffer or, you know, it's not I don't even think they call it this anymore, but uh Body dysmorphia or uh, some sort of dysmorphia. They 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 don't feel like they are meant to be in their bodies. And maybe that's like a chemical or a, a physical alteration that's been made in their brain that uh, is causing them to feel that way. And maybe they're going to feel perfect when they get surgery. But I'll tell you what, the vast majority of them do not. I found this uh, hilarious <laughs> – I found this hilarious uh, Twitter account – that was going through all these posts of people. Now, it, it, I'm not laughing at people being depressed or wanting to take their own lives as a result of the changes they made to their body. There was a lot of other funny stuff on there just having to do with people being angry because they weren't being called ma'am or something like that or or, or thinking that in 10 years technology is going to come so far that trans women will be able to get pregnant. Like, no, that's not going to happen. That'll never happen. Um, but there were a lot of people who were like, I am more depressed than I've ever been. I wish I could get my penis back. I can't believe I made the decision to mutilate my body. There's no going back. The the, the horrors 
of what you are going to be subjected to once you have that full Monty taken care of, okay? You know, you can get your face done, you can get your boobs put in, but, you know, those things can be reversed. Once you, once you get your junk cut off, once there's nothing left, I mean, first of all, you're not going to have the ability to feel any sexual satisfaction. And then number two, if you want to maintain a neo-vagina, as they're called, it takes a significant amount of work, and it's extremely painful. Like, as, as, as far along as science wants you to believe they are, they can maybe make it look a little bit like a vagina on the outside, but it's, it's not a vagina on the inside. It's not it, – like, it's a, it's a tragedy, okay? And I, I got to be honest. I feel horrible for the people who are convinced by the propagandists and the mind controllers in our society that this is something that's going to make their lives better because there's no going back. You know, once you find yourself in that position, even if you find the best plastic surgeon in the world, it can go horribly wrong. I read about this uh, this this guy who was uh, getting transitioned to be a woman and the doctor perforated their colon. So the neo vagina, this this wound in her crotch in his crotch, it was filling up with with, with poop, basically. Okay, so it's just as it's the worst possible thing I could imagine. You know, you've got an open wound that's filling up with the contents of your colon and there's nothing that they can do about it because there's not like a lot of skin there. Everything's already been used. What are they supposed to do? And then, as I said, there's uh, there's there's no physical release that you get once you've had those nerves cut. It's about, it's about the most tragic thing that I could possibly imagine. It's terrible. All right. Uh, Jane Patriot says, I agree. Red Pill 78, a lot of these puerile are just victims of the brainwashing to ruin their lives. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, because it's it's not – oh. Number one Indiana dad, you're my boy. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, homie. Um, yeah, it's it's not simply about – you know, the manipulation of society, there are opportunists out there. They, well, first of all, I think they feed on the negative psychic energy that is produced when somebody is in a depressive state. I think that that is completely true. And then you've also got a multi-billion dollar industry that has been created around this issue. You know, they went from, they went from insurance companies not being willing to pay for anything. So the people who got the surgeries, uh, they were people who were like highly dedicated and believed that they wanted to become women because they paid for it out of pocket. Well, guess what? What if I told you that right now the United States government is actually paying for people to have these operations? And that means that you are the one who's actually paying for these people to have these operations. Where, oh, shoot. Where did it go? Oh, man. I don't know what happened to it. Apparently, the United States government has been, here he is, 256 transgender men. They have been paying for these, these women who became men, legally on paper, to get pregnant. And the taxpayers of the United States are footing the bill. So 
no matter what you believe about the efficacy or or the ethics of this situation, you've actually been paying for people to get this stuff. And insurance companies are now also under the gender affirming care argument. They're also paying for people to get these operations. Who in the hell do you think is paying for that? Well, you are. Every time you pay your monthly premiums, you're also paying for somebody else to get a boob job. You're also paying for somebody else to get a brow lift. You're paying for somebody else to get their genitals cut off. And so it doesn't really matter like how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what it is because those people are going to get paid. And they're getting paid because they have successfully psyoped Congress and the insurance companies and the American people into believing that this is how it has to be. Nobody's paying for my medical procedures. I'll tell you that. I, 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 I'm so I'm so mad about this because everything costs more. And that we may not have communism in place here in the United States, but that's essentially what they've created. They've created this situation. Uh, no. So, OK. <clears throat> so these people. It's a study from the University of Michigan. Uh, 1,907 births among people who were born biological females but identified as males. Uh, that's nearly 500 a year between 2014 to 2018. Uh, 256 trans men were insured under Medicaid. Of course, Medicaid is the government program. And Medicaid is funded by your tax dollars. So these are people who otherwise could not purchase their own health insurance. They're lower income. So they're going to rely on the safety net, which by all rights, I believe, should be there for other things, but not something like this. You know, because if you're a person who makes what? What's the cutoff for Medicaid? Like you got to make like 30 grand a year or more or something like that. And then. Once you make that, then you have to start paying for your own insurance and you also probably have to pay for your own fertility doctor. I mean, I've I've known couples who like men and women that needed to go to a fertility doctor had to do like uh, what is it? The the IVF. OK, uh, they had to like get their eggs taken out. Then they had to have the fertilization done in a test tube and then injected into them. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. OK, it all doesn't work the first time. But even if you're not on Medicaid, your tax dollars are still going to fund Medicaid. Okay? Medicaid also is the same government healthcare organization that doesn't treat our elderly people in the way that they should. But I bet you they're falling over themselves backwards to provide people with free pregnancies. The average cost of childbirth in the United States is about $19,000. So, When we add up the numbers for these people who transitioned and then said, hey, I still want to have a kid, we're talking about $4.8 million. Now, the great irony, the great irony for the people who have gone through these procedures and then had a child anyways, is that as long as as long as the woman who now identifies as a man still has the internal setup, they can get pregnant and then have the baby. But if you're a guy who gets your junk cut off, And then you decide you want to have a baby later. Good luck. You know, I mean, your testes are gone. Your your penis is gone. Like there's nothing you can do about it. They've just erased, erased the male half of the species off the face of the earth. So Bennett Casper Williams, 
uh, was born, well, excuse me, with his partner and newborn just after the birth in 2020. So I'm not exactly sure what the relationship is here. I mean, obviously, these two people are a couple, but is that is that guy in the background, a biological male who is married to a biological female who now identifies as a man? And and so does that mean I mean, would they identify as gay? I mean, I'm so twisted up about this. I mean, like like how it actually works, you know, and uh, I just I, I don't understand. I have to be honest. I mean, uh, more than anything, I think that it's it's uh, it's unfair to put this type of burden onto the U.S. taxpayer that we should have to pay for these things. You know, right now, the army or the, the armed forces are falling over themselves to provide sex change operations for people who identify as trans in the military. You know, same thing. That's that's you and me that's paying for that. But uh, this is uh, this is just this. I don't know. I just don't even know. I don't know anything about it. And uh, I just feel like it's an unfair burden on the American taxpayer to require us to pay for this stuff. Because let's say you don't make you make too much to be on Medicaid, but you don't make enough to get IVF. You're not going to get to have a kid. You're going to be the person who is not going to be able to afford because you're already paying a thousand bucks a month for your family's uh, uh, private health health insurance because Obamacare is not doing anything for you. Obamacare is not going to do anything at all. Anyways, this guy like uh, shared his journey. Uh, we have another one. I'm not sure exactly who's who or what's what. Uh, this this one in particular I've seen going around for several years. That was the first trans man to get pregnant. I mean, and more than anything, I feel for the the children in these relationships. I mean, the the mixed up perception of how the world is supposed to work, you know? That was an, another one that I saw on that uh on that Twitter account was this guy was transitioning to be a woman, had a 3-year-old son and wanted the son to call him mommy. And uh, and he was upset because this three-year-old did not want to call him mommy. He was like, no, you're my daddy. I'm not going to call you mommy. You're my daddy. You know, this three-year-old had more sense than this adult man. But because we have these, these soaring rates of gender dysphoria cases in the United States, uh, children and strangers are expected – to just know instinctively what these people want to be called and how they want to be addressed. These are probably the same people who want to kill other people who are different than them. There is definitely a a component of jealousy among men who are trans women uh, against women who are naturally born women. I've seen it. I've seen it being talked about on the internet. People, uh, they're jealous because a woman is something that this person will never be, never truly be. You know, I mean, there's a difference. And for the left to try to convince us that there is no difference, there's no discernible difference between a woman and a trans woman. It's patently obvious. It's clear there is. And it's the the same reason why we have an argument against biological men competing in women's sports. It's also the same reason why I think these biological men want to compete in women's sports, because even though they're not women, they want to prove something to these women. They want to tell them that they are better than them. 
And in the case of a six foot four man, a.k.a. Leah Thomas, uh, swimming against uh, five foot two female swimmers, of course, they're going to win every single time. Uh, but the kids, the kids are the thing that I'm really worried about. Uh, this next generation is going to be messed up. I mean, they're already messed up. We've seen it. You know, the like teenagers, early twenties, that generation has rejected this woke push. You know, largely they are, they're pretty based. Okay. But you know, it's the next generation of kids, the ones who are growing up ensconced in all of it. I think that we have we have a responsibility for humanity to ensure the survival of the species. And based upon monetary incentives, there is a an ongoing operation to try to ensure that the species doesn't continue. Okay? The elites already want to erase a certain number of people from existence because climate change. Uh, on top of that, you know, you have the uh, the psychosexual uh, black magic aspect of it. They get off on that. Uh, you have the transhumanism and the transgenderism. That's a, a component that turns them on as well. Uh, and then you also have uh, the component of uh, – Blame that should be placed squarely at the feet of medical professionals, doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, until just a few years ago, if you're if you were a biological man who believes you were in the body that if you are a biological man born in the body of a woman or the other way around, a biological woman who believes that you need to be in the body of a man, it was considered a uh, a, a mental disorder. Not to cast aspersions on people. Uh, this is simply not the way that your brain was designed to work. So, of course, it's it's abnormal. It's outside of the bounds of what's considered normal. Doesn't mean that person doesn't deserve to live. But we have to have definitions for things like that. We have to have constraints on society. We We have to be able to limit what is permissible in society, all right? So now we have some kid who's going to be growing up in a, uh, in, in a situation where they can't tell a man from a woman until maybe it's too late. You know, how confusing is that? And there's an active component monetarily from the porn industry as well. That came out in those uh, the Pornhub investigation that was done in the same way that Project Veritas and OMG, James O'Keefe's organization did. They got those people on camera. You know, they, they, they want to turn children onto the most twisted types of pornography because they know that there is this heightening effect where like, you know, you have to get more and more extreme so you can get there. And in the case of gender dysphoria, they know that it – well, first of all, they get to dip in for the counseling, all right? And then if they if they uh, uh, diagnose them with gender dysphoria, well, immediately there comes the medications. Uh, and then they have a lifetime of surgery ahead of them. So the medical industrial complex has twisted up an entire generation of the life on planet Earth 
so that they can collect as much money as possible. And then on top of that, they're also charging you more money because, of course, the money that's coming in for those various procedures is not going to cover it. They need you. They need you to be alive so they can take all of your money. But as soon as they can, they will murder you as soon as look at you. All right, guys. So, you know, on that note, we have a court hearing coming up here very soon regarding the official release of that transgender shooters uh, manifesto from New Covenant Christian School. Uh, It was set for yesterday. Uh, And from what I understand with the pages that have leaked out, I, I don't know if they're going to release the whole thing. I mean, They stated that they would previously, but obviously it's very damaging to their agenda and their ideology. Uh, I think that what we saw there in Nashville was the ultimate expression of the anger and frustration that that person had because, number one, she was never going to be a man. As much as she wanted to. She hated straight people. She hated white people because she saw them as having a perfect life. And this is what this system has ingrained in people's minds, that there's something wrong with straight white people and they don't deserve to live. Uh, I, I saw something the other day. A professor said that if you identify as straight, that's offensive to people who are not straight because it implies that they're crooked. Like, that's the stupidest freaking shit I've ever heard. I don't think anybody ever has said I'm straight and was specifically implying that somebody else uh, was had something wrong with him. I'm talking about my own personal identity. OK, it, it, this is just the way that it is. It's always been called that straight then gay, queer, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. But the left has created this clear delineation between, you know, straight people and uh, people of any color and then everything else. And they have this us against them mentality in the same way that I don't want the left. I don't want the left murdered. I don't want the left to have their rights stripped away. I want my rights to be protected. And by extension of that, that means that everyone's rights are protected. And I don't care what religion you are. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care who you go home with at night, but your decisions should never affect my liberty and my decisions should never affect your liberty. And everything that we've got right now is twisted to no end. We are living in a very, very strange time. So we're going to go ahead and leave it there, you guys. I appreciate you hanging out with us. If you have not yet, please hit that like button. I see somebody having a conversation about uh, estrogen and soy in the chat. If you are a man, even if you're a woman, do not eat soy products. This is not medical advice, but I'm pretty certain I know what I'm talking about here. Estrogen is essentially mimicked by soy all right, the, the, it's, they have all these estrogen uh, mimicking substances and you eat soy, it increases the estrogen in your body. If you're a man, that means that you're going to be a soy boy, all right, and uh, you're not going to be manly in the way that you need to be. Uh, if you're a woman, you create too much estrogen and your body starts to naturally produce testosterone to counterbalance it. 
So that means you might grow hair on your face. You might start losing your hair. Your voice might deepen. There's a whole bunch of different things, things that come with it. You know, diet and exercise are so vitally important. I don't exercise nearly as much as I should, but diet is an easy thing for you guys to watch and, and, and to track. And the more natural, non-processed foods that you can eat, the better off you're going to be, the healthier you're going to feel. Uh, it's the, the probably the most elementary thing that you can pay attention to. If nothing else, watch what you eat. And I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult, but you can grow your own food, and you can also barter with people who can. So let me say thank you to Big Bird 38 You know, and actually, let me see about throwing this up here on screen because that'll be easy. So let's go uh, VLC. Where is it? Mac OS screen capture. We'll go Foxhole Chat. There we go. And... Make it the gold pills. Okay. And it's much bigger. Mm. All right. So, first of all, Thank you very much to Big Bird 38 who says, Hi, Zach. Thanks for all your hard work. Appreciate you. Thank you to NetFolks for dropping that can. Appreciate you, buddy. Lou Ann V says, Thank you, Zach, for dispelling the black pill and keeping us on a positive note. I'm happy to be of service. Uh, thank you to Nakaz808, dropping some shades. Aloha, buddy. Good to see you. PJ Carr 17 says, uh, thank you for always sharing your knowledge with the tribe. Hey, you know, it's a public service. We should all be doing our best effort to, uh, to act in, in the same way. Uh, cause I was inspired by others that came before me. Thank you, PJ. Lynn's over it. Thank you for the gold pills. Lee N63, thank you for the can. And good dog 45, thank you very much for the cookie. And I don't think we had anything over on Rumble. But that is neither here nor there. Thank you very, very much for hanging out with us today, guys. I sincerely appreciate it. We've got 3,800 people here and only 625 likes. Five downvotes. Five downvotes. That's five soy boys, pretty likely. So if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, please drop a like on your way out. Uh, if you also wouldn't mind, share the show. Tonight's Tuesday, so I am not going to be on the air after we hang up here, but I will be back tomorrow. Uh, I have a show that's going to be dropping early afternoon tomorrow, and then I have my live show at 5, uh, and then I have my show with Brad at 9 p.m. I'm also going to be recording Making Sense of the Madness with uh, Jason Burmis. That'll be out tomorrow at 6. So no matter where I see you, uh, hopefully I will see you soon. Good luck and God bless. We'll see you then. Oh, wait, hold on. Napkinator, napkin eight. Thank you, Red Pill. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. All right, we'll see you.